0: Hello, you guys. Welcome to episode forty-seven of the Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. Tis me, Troy McKitty. And uh, do you guys recognize me? Do you recognize the sound of my voice? Do you recognize my spirit, my aura? I'm a much different person now than I was a week ago. I'm just saying. I'm a little bit more mature. <clears throat> I'm a little bit wiser. I'm a little bit smarter. I'm 30. Could we talk? You guys, I'm dead. I'm dead. I cannot believe that I'm 30 fucking years old, you guys. I literally, I kid you not, I woke up on my 30th birthday with, like, literal dread. Like, I woke up laying in bed, looking at the ceiling and thinking, my God, you son of a bitch. You are no longer in your 20s. You check a different box. You're a part of a different class. And, like, at 30, you need to get your shit together in a completely different way than, like, 25. Like, at 25, and everybody knows this. This is, like, I'm not... This is, like, a a thing that I think is unspoken, but everybody knows. When you're, like, 25 years old, you can still use the excuse that you're, like, figuring things out. You know what I mean? At 30, you need to have your shit together. Like, at 30, your credit needs to be, like, perfection. Perfection. You know, bills need to be paid on, like, but you need to, like, have your shit together. You are a full-blown, full-fledged, old-ass fucking adult. Like, you're a grown-ass man. There are no more excuses. You are not, I mean, it's just, it's over. And I'm the kind of person, by the way, that, like, like, for example, when I start a new job, I milk being new for, like, a long time. Like, literally eight months and I'll be like, I'm still learning, but like there's no excuse anymore for me to like not know things. Like I'm that person in the office that's like, Can you show me this? Something that we I've done every day for nine months. And that's kind of how I feel about my age. I'm like, you know, up until like twenty-nine I was like, I'm still figuring things out. Like I'm still figuring it out. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to like get my shit together. I'm still in my twenties, you know what I mean? It's what happens. And like that's not I can't use that excuse anymore. It's over with. I'm old. And I have to be honest, like, on the day of, when I woke up, I was like, you know, like I said, I was not feeling it. I was, like, not excited to celebrate. I was totally over it. And then one of my best friends, Ashley, she's turning 30 with me in the next couple days. And uh, we always try and celebrate our birthdays together. And uh, she's forcing me to have, you know, like, a a party, a get-together, a gathering, a dinner a bar, you know, like, we're gonna go have dinner and get drunk, basically. It's an excuse to wear a new sweater, you know? Um, and I'm happy. I'm happy that she forced me out of my dark shell. Sometimes you just need a, 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 a Christian believer to, like, pull you out of your fucking grave that you're digging for yourself, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, so I'm gonna be celebrating my birthday this weekend, which I'm pretty excited about now. I'm excited to have all my friends in one room. And to be able to, like, sit at the head of a table and, like, look down and, like, have all these memories of people. Like, it is, you know, it's a milestone. And I'm coming to terms with it. And I do think that it was actually good to have a week to just kind of, like, decompress and, like, you know, realize that, like, I'm not near death. Well, that's debatable. But you know what I mean. Anyway, I wanted to talk this week about a couple that just feels light and fun because your boy's been in a a dark place. So I just wanted to have a little fun. I don't want to talk about anybody's drug addictions, I don't want to talk about any, I don't want to describe a death to you, I don't want to, (laughs) I don't want to describe any sort of, like, slow deaths or murders or anything like that, I just want to go full, just light and fun and just talk about fun, silly things, so I figured what better couple to talk about during a time when you want to just keep things light and fun than Posh and Bex? Like, let's spend the next hour talking about Victoria and David Beckham, shall we? Why not? You know what I mean? April's almost over. We got nothing to do. Let's talk about David and Victoria. By the way, still a little bit of darkness. We've now learned that our boy David has a proclivity towards cheating. You know what I mean? Which is fine. He loves her. You know, and obviously Victoria. I mean, I think this is one of those situations. This is like a Tom and Luann situation where obviously Victoria has known for a very long time that her beautiful beautiful man likes to stick it in other other women or whatever strangers you know he likes to he likes to try everything at the buffet he's not comfortable with like the one thing that he got on his plate he wants to just fucking dip and dab in every little section and that's you know for some people that works you know it's like who are we to judge who's to say that victoria beckham is not there getting like all the dick who's to say I mean, who's to say that Victoria Beckham isn't like catwalking and like posh pointing into some beautiful man's apartment and getting beautiful man dick all the time. We don't know. Maybe she's more stealth. We don't know. So I have no judgments. Like this is a couple that's been able to make it through 20 years of an extremely public relationship. And I'm proud of them. I have nothing negative to say truthfully like I truly have nothing negative to say about either of them obviously I love Victoria Beckham and I have a I've always had an appreciation for David Beckham but I've got to tell you after doing research for this episode and revisiting um some old news stories and just sort of where we were during the time period that he was like becoming a really prolific figure I have even more of an appreciation for him because you know what Like, this is a man who, I don't, personally, I don't think he gets enough credit for being so supportive in the 90s of the LGBT community and, you know, just sort of changing the way that we interpret what it means to be, like, a straight man. Like, David Beckham really did break down a lot of, like, fragile (laughs) male, like, fragile male ego bullshit in the 90s. And he, you know, sort of freed a lot of uptight, athletic douchebags to, like, put on a fucking pink shirt or a sarong, paint their nails, get cornrows, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, he just, he's very prolific in that way, and I don't think we really talk about it enough, so let's just get into it. I mean, we're seven minutes in, and all I've done is talk about how depressed I am about my birthday. Like, you're not paying for that. Okay, let's start. So, like I said earlier, David and Victoria Beckham have been married since 1999. Um, they've been a couple for upwards of 20 years. Um, and like I said, it's just, it's incredible. Like, not even just because they're public and because they're a, a celebrity couple and that we know everything about their lives. And they've been under a microscope since the minute they got together. Um, but like, married couples just don't even, they don't, married couples don't stay together anymore for 20 years. That's a long time. Like... I know more divorced people than I do married, and that's incredible. Um, I'm like I said, I'm proud of them. I have nothing. I truly have nothing negative to say. Um, and I, I think it's interesting that David and Victoria are like one of the first modern couples to really sort of market themselves as a brand and like really package themselves as like a unit. Um, and sort of a, for the time, an unconventional way. Now, obviously, everybody does this now. You know, you think of, like, Kim and Kanye, and... I mean, like, Kim and Kanye are a couple that has, like, an aesthetic attached to it. When you think of Kimye, you think of, like, all these different things. And, like, we all think of the same things, right? Because they're... They are marketing themselves as, like, a brand. And David and Victoria did that at a time when that was not really, like, a thing. You know? And people really embraced them because they were... It didn't feel, um, like, un- inauthentic. With, with David and Victoria, it felt very un- authentic to who they were. And, you know, this is not, like, this is definitely not a case of, like, opposite to Tract. It's, like, the complete opposite. This is, like, he's the yang to her yang. You know what I mean? They are the same. He is the male version of her. She is the female version of him. It's actually, like, makes you believe in God that these two people found each other. Because fate is real. Like, I can't believe that Victoria and David Beckham somehow, you know, in life, found each other. Because they are perfectly paired. They're a perfect match. Um, And like I said earlier, I mean, I I just think that David is a really interesting uh, character in our celebrity zeitgeist. And I don't think he gets enough credit for, you know, how sort of outspoken he was in the 90s for being, oh, excuse me, your voice got gas. Um, In the 90s, he was a, a, he was a gay icon and he was one of the first, if not the first male athlete to really, really embrace the gay community and be like, I'm not gay, but I'll pose for the fucking advocate. I don't care. You know what I mean? I will take my shirt off and do a pictorial in Out magazine, sure. You know, that wasn't a thing. And now it's, like, chic to embrace the gay community because it's, like, politically cool. Which is great. I mean, whatever. But, like, he was doing it in the 90s when it was not cool. And it made people question his sexuality. And he was so comfortable with his own sexuality that he didn't even care about that. He never felt the need to defend himself or be, you know, whatever about it. He just, like, didn't even really address it. And, like, I know that we don't use the word metrosexual anymore, but, like, because of who we're talking about, I have to use the term. (laughs) And, like, we have to be very honest about the fact that there is a world pre-early 2000s metrosexual era and there's the world after. And it's a very different world. It is. Like, I'm sorry. And, you know... I have notes in my notes about this, but like David Beckham actually by the person who invented the term metrosexual was crowned like the definition, like the definitive number one metrosexual in the country. And it's such a silly thing to think about now that like, this was an actual thing. And this was a term that a lot of straight men felt so like vindicated by because it was like, Oh my God, I can finally I can finally go out in a pink T-shirt, and people won't think I'm gay. And I like the color pink. And I'm a metrosexual. And I'm tan. And I have frosted tips. And I'm wearing pointed gators, like leather gator skin shoes. And it's fine. I've got uh, I have black nail polish on, and I'm tan, and I'm chic, and I like women. And like you know, it was a, it was a very confusing, weird time, but. We have David Beckham to think for this sort of, like, breakdown of toxic, fucking straight masculinity for a very long time. And then you have people like Ryan Seacrest that weaseled their way in and tried to take his thing. But no, David is the ultimate metrosexual. He invented the term. And, um, I also, to be completely honest, I find it admirable that David, or that Victoria is somebody who took this sort of, like, cartoon character idea of who we thought she was in her Spice Girls days, and 30 years later, she's built a billion-dollar empire around being Posh Spice. And she also sort of turned it into an aesthetic. So instead of it just being, like, a character that she was in a girl group, it's now, she's turned it on itself, and now it's, like, this, like, chic, lifestyle brand that she's created which is like fucking insane um and like she's now one of the most respected people in the fashion industry and it's entirely based on her character in a girl group like it's wild and like I don't know they're just I just think that they're great like I just I I think that we should start praising them again and really just like I, I know that they're like they're cool and like their kids are gonna be famous now and you know Brooklyn Beckham is, like, the next, like, big thing. And, I, and and it's time to pass the torch or whatever. But I just think that we should, like, admire them more for their impact on our culture. Because it's pretty, uh... It's pretty important. By the way, obviously, we're gonna talk about the Spice Girls. Duh. I mean, come on. We're talking about Victoria. Like, it's happening. We're gonna deep dive for an hour on the Spice Girls. Are you ready? Oh, man. By the way, also very very, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a full circle moment, you know? Like, the Spice Girls was so much a part of my childhood. I'm like, uh, on the heels? Is on the heels when you're in front of something or behind it? You're behind it, which means it's already, it's going to happen. So I'm not on the heels of my 30th birthday. I'm on the toes of my 30th birthday. And (laughs) I grew up loving the Spice Girls, obviously, and this was like... I mean, I think that, like, Michael Jackson and Madonna, for me, like, the first, like, pop culture phenomenon things that I remember being, like, really obsessed with. But the Spice Girls was, like, a whole completely different thing. Like, a, it has its own category. And, you know, I don't know. They just mean a lot to my childhood. I I mean, obviously, to yours, too, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure. So, yeah, let's get into it. Let's start with Victoria, because why not, right? Makes sense. I usually like to start with the girl first, because... It just feels respectful. Um, so Victoria Beckham, (laughs) I hate myself, was raised in Goffs Oak, um, Hertfordshire. I wanted to get it right. Um, her mother was a hairdresser and an insurance clerk, and her dad was an electronics engineer. And her family actually founded a wholesale business, which was super successful, a.k.a. Victoria grew up, like, pretty wealthy, like, during, you know, like, her tween, even, like, as her ch- in her childhood, like, she was, like, a wealthy kid, they were pretty well off, um, Victoria's dad actually used to drive her and her siblings to school in a Rolls Royce every day, and, you know, she was so embarrassed, and she was already bullied about her wealth, so she would ask him to drop her off at the corner, um, before her school, so that she would walk up to the school and look like she was on the same... Uh, like poverty level as the people around her because she was she was bullied. Um, she went to a public school that wasn't like you know it wasn't like a very nice school. She was one of the wealthier people in the school, um, which made all these girls hate her more. She was super awkward. She was like kind of antisocial, um, and she was tortured. Uh, she got beat up a lot. And in 2014, she did an interview with The Independent where she said, "Secondary school was hell." Children picking things up out of puddles and throwing them at me. And she said, I just stood there on my own. I didn't have any friends. People would push me around. They would say that they were going to beat me up. Sometimes they would. And she said, I was mentally and physically bullied at school very badly. They gave me a very thick skin, though. I was a skinny, shallow-faced kid with pigtails and a gap in my teeth, big enough for a pee to stick through. It was miserable, and I didn't fit in. And Victoria... I mean, like, towards, like, the her teenage years, she started to pursue a career in entertainment. She wanted to be a model, and she wanted to sing. And uh, after she had seen the film Fame, she had decided to, like, actually pursue her dreams. And, like, she asked her parents to pay for uh, tuition at, like, performing arts schools and stuff. And um, her parents enrolled her in several performing arts schools. Uh, she went to Lane Theater Arts, where she started dance and music, and modeling. And, uh, yeah, I mean, pretty early into Victoria's life, the Spice Girls kind of made their, made its way into her story. Um, so in the early 90s, I guess early to mid-90s, I guess you could say, like, boy bands were huge. They had had this huge sort of resurgence in UK pop. So, you know, it was only natural that the recording executives, like, started, like, sniffing around for, like, a girl group, you know, because that's what happens. Like, they start looking for, like, four to five talented young ladies to shift into the conversation a bit and it's a tale as old as time you know what i mean it's like for every two years that like a one direction is selling 78 million records like a fifth harmony is being groomed behind the scenes and it's just the way that the world works and to be honest if i may say so it's a formula that i actually enjoy being manipulated by like the boy band and girl band formula is something that I'm just very comfortable pretending to be naive to. I like the spectacle of it and I enjoy, I just really love it. I love when like a boy band is really huge and then all of a sudden it's almost like you forget that girl bands exist and then they show up and you're like, fuck yes, bitch! girl bands are amazing. And then the girl group will be together for like two years, a member will leave And then you're introduced to boy bands again. And that's the other thing that I really love about, like, boy bands and girl bands is that no matter what, you can be 70 years old, you can be 10 years old. The one, like, thread that we all have connected in the music industry is that all of us have suffered the heartbreak of, like, one of, like, a member leaving a boy band or a girl band that we love. And some of us go through it multiple times throughout our lives. You know what I mean? And it's like truly painful when you're a t- like a teenager to have a person in a band that up to that point you've thought in your head they love being around each other. They're best friends. They love touring together. All the documentaries they've done said that they do. You know, <laughs> in all their interviews they talk about loving all the hijinks that happen on their tour bus and like, sharing beds and blah, 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 and then all of a sudden the person leaves and you find out that they've hated the last two years of their lives and, like, they've been abused by the fucking industry and, like, all this crazy stuff. And it's, just like, really heartbreaking. Like, it's heartbreaking to find out when you're, like, 14 or 13 that, like, you know, it was all kind of a sham, you know? Like, it's very painful. And for a lot of people, especially, I think, people listening to this podcast, like, I think that we're all kind of, like, I don't know. We're close in age right like i don't know maybe not i guess that's like a stupid thing to just assume but if you're younger than me if you're like a if you're a young person like it's really hard to describe what it felt like to be a young impressionable tween during the spice girls era because it's just like it's not anything that you could ever really describe. Like Fifth Harmony is a band that is now like in Guinness for having like the like a having the most YouTube video or views of like a song. They have like 1 billion views on on the song Work. And like those things are great. Like Fifth Harmony was a a phenomenon for a short period. But like phenomenon doesn't really begin to even describe what it felt like to be a young person in the Spice Girls era. It's like it's the only, it's literal, it's like Beatles mania. Like, it. it's, it was everywhere. It was all-encompassing. It was, there were so many products. I'm like, I'm gonna get into all this stuff, but it's just different. Um, but anyway, back on track. Housekeeping. So, in February of 1994, Bob and Chris Herbert of Heart Management placed an ad in the Stage Magazine asking for female singers to come out and audition. Um, the flyer said, wanted... Are you 18 to 23 with the ability to sing and dance? Are you streetwise, outgoing, ambitious, and dedicated? Heart Management Limited. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to. Write. I, no, it's fine. You know, Ltd. I read. It's whatever. Anyway, um, are widely successful. <laughs> widely successful in the music industry, and. Uh, we are currently forming a choreographed, singing, dancing, all-female pop act for a record deal. Open audition, Dance Works, 16 Baldwin Street, Friday fourth, uh, Friday fourth March, 11 a.m. to 5:30 p.m. Please bring sheet music and backing cassettes. So that was it. They had 400 girls that showed up to audition. They were asked to sing and choreograph for routine in groups uh, to the song "Stay" by Eternal. And after passing the second rounds of the auditions, Victoria, Mel B, Mel C, and a woman named Michelle Stevenson uh, were among the 12 who got asked to stay. Jerry, was the f- uh, she actually missed the first audition because of work and was able to make it to the second one and was then moved on to uh, the 12, like the smaller group. And uh, during the next few months, they recorded a series of demos and they worked on choreography, the music they were recording at that point was described as, like, just super, like, young girl pop. Um, Michelle Stevenson, their former bandmate, said that they were basically recording, like, like teenage girl love songs. And uh, one of the songs they recorded was called Sugar and Spice, which ended up being the inspiration for their name. And um, <laughs> apparently, at the beginning of when they were, like, coming up with their name, they originally wanted to be called the Spicy Girls. But then um, their management... Like, after looking the name up on the internet, realized that, like, the Spicy Girls was actually, like, one of the most, like, popular porn websites in the UK at that time. Because there were probably, like, four. Uh, (laughs) So, they had to change the name. Um, But it was actually Jerry, by the way, who came up with the name Spice Girls. And uh, a few months into their training, Michelle was fired from the band and replaced with Emma. And, like, can we talk about Michelle? Like, has anybody checked on Michelle? Like, I actually feel like Michelle from Destiny's Child should be mentoring Michelle of former Spice Girls. Like, have we checked on this woman? Is she okay? Like, what is she doing? Could you imagine being the one girl that was kicked out of the Spice Girls right before they became one of of the biggest girl bands in the history of music? I'd be fucking pissed. Um... Also, here's the thing, this is where things get really interesting, and this is actually the part of the Spice Girls, like, biopic that, like, I can't wait to see when they cast them, when they cast the film, which, by the way, again, I always throw my name in the hat, I'm more than happy to play Victoria, she and I actually have the same birthday, and, as you know, very prolific birthday that just happened for me, um, I understand what it means to be a Taurus Aries cusp, which is something that is very hard to... Describe, and I understand that I fully understand Victoria and all her little quirks because we are on the same wavelength. We're in sync, and um, it takes a very specific person to understand that. So I'm just throwing my hat in the ring. Um, I say that I kind of favor Victoria Beckham. I don't really see too much of a difference. Um, so the girls at that point they were unhappy with their management, and they had decided that their management was taking them in a direction that they didn't want to go. Uh, They didn't like the songs they were recording. They didn't like the fact that they weren't actually signed to anything. So they were, like, working their asses off and, like, recording all this music that they technically owned. Because they didn't have a record deal. They didn't have a contract stating this is our music or your music or whatever. They're just recording songs. So there's nothing really, like, legally binding them to each other. Um, They were just, like, working their asses off, basically, you know, for free. So, Jerry, being the undisputed leader of the group, I don't know if you guys know this or not, like, I don't know if you realize this, I've always known this, even when I was younger, and that's why I chose her as my favorite. Jerry was always my favorite Spice Girl. The problematic girl in a girl group somehow always ends up being my favorite, um, but Jerry was, like, the un- she was, like, the sort of unannounced leader, you know, she was the most outspoken, she was the most strong-willed- you know, she protected the girls, and Jerry was the one that had decided at a certain point, like, that they needed to leave. So, Jerry, she wrangled all the girls together, she got their recording demos together, and she started secretly taking meetings with other music executives to find a better deal. And, like, I don't know, I, I have a bunch of shit to say at a certain point about, like, the role that these girls played in the group, but, like, even, like most specifically, Jerry. Like, it just proves my theory that like she was the leader of the group like all of this stuff makes me feel like okay yeah it makes sense i've always thought she was and when i went back and read all this stuff i was like yeah she was the one in charge she even for a short period managed the group she literally managed them like she just she didn't she'd never managed anybody in her life and she randomly took on the role as their manager and like did a fucking great job um you know she was like the head of the snake fucking love jerry so much And, uh, so Jerry then convinced their current management team, Bob and Chris, to set up a showcase where they would perform and, um, sort of show, like, show their dance routines and, like, show, you know, the executives this music that they had been recording. And, uh, they got a really good response. Like, people lost their shit. Everybody in the room basically knew at that point, like, they needed to... People wanted to sign them. Like, people were... They they just knew. Like, the Spice Girls is, like... I mean, even when you watch them when they're really young, and when you think about the fact that there had never really been a band like them before ever, like, in the history of music, they just had, like, this insane energy... And it's crazy that those five girls, like, didn't know each other beforehand, because you would think that they had known each other, like, their whole lives. And it was just different than, like, a Fifth Harmony thing, where you look at them and you know that they all fucking despise each other, and you're watching them, like, give dirty looks to each other, and roll their eyes, and, like, everything that they're doing and saying and wearing and thinking and singing and... You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So... Go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Keen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com.